Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 688. Bast caught it with both hands and tore the bird carelessly in half, casting the pieces into the air where they exploded into great washes of flame the color of blood. It all happened in the space of a single breath. Everything you know about the Fae could fit inside a thimble, Bast said, looking at the scribe with no expression at all, his voice flat and even. How dare you doubt me? You have no idea who I am. Chronicler sat very still, but he did not look away. I swear it by my tongue and teeth, Bast said crisply. I swear it on the doors of stone. I am telling you three thousand times. There is nothing in my world or yours more dangerous than the Cathay. There's no need for that, Bast, Quoth said softly. I believe you. Bast turned to look at Quoth, then sagged miserably in his chair. I wish you didn't, Reshi. Quoth gave a wry smile. So, after a person meets the Cathay, all their choices will be the wrong ones. Bast shook his head, his face pale and drawn. Not wrong, Reshi. Catastrophic. Jax spoke to the Cathay before he stole the moon, and that sparked the entire creation war. Lanra spoke to the Cathay before he orchestrated the betrayal of Myrterineal, the creation of the Nameless, the Skandinae. They can all be traced back to the Cathay. Quoth's expression went blank. Well, that certainly puts me in interesting company, doesn't it? He said dryly. It does more than that, Reshi, Bast said. In our plays, if the Cathay's tree is shown in the distance in the backdrop, you know the story is going to be the worst kind of tragedy. It's put there so the audience knows what to expect, so they know everything will go terribly wrong in the end. Quoth looked at Bast for a long moment. Oh, Bast, he said softly to his student. His smile was gentle and sad. I know what kind of story I'm telling. This is no comedy. Bast looked up at him with hollow, hopeless eyes. But Reshi... His mouth moved, trying to find words and failing. The red-haired innkeeper gestured at the empty taproom. This is the end of the story, Bast. We all know that. Quoth's voice was matter-of-fact, as casual as if he were describing yesterday's weather. I have led an interesting life, and this reminiscence has a certain sweetness to it, but... He drew a deep breath and let it out gently. But this is not a dashing romance. This is no fable where folk come back from the dead. It's not a rousing epic meant to stir the blood. No. We all know what kind of story this is. That's the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. I'm Nick. And I think that this redoubles Bass' efforts to do whatever it is he does. That's what I think happens in this scene. Kind of off off camera, because Quoth goes back to the story. But we know that Bass doesn't drop his plan at the end of this book. He carries it out, and he carries it out with grim efficiency. Um, Quoth is very certain that the story is over already, right? Quoth is like, the worst has happened, the calamity's here, it all makes sense now. Uh, this is not a happy story with a happy ending, but Bast is, is saying, and has been all this time, the story's not over yet, it will have a happy ending, I'll get my Quoth back, and whatever it is I need Quoth to do, or even just having Quoth back will be the happy ending. And I think part of why Bast reacts so strongly to this is that he is now grappling with the idea that that maybe there is no happy ending. I don't think Bast ever figured that he could fail 
I think Bass figured it was a matter of time and trying different things before Quoth came back. But now Bast is saying, oh, if the Cathay is involved, then maybe it is a tragedy and maybe there is no recovering it. And I think that throughout the rest of the story, what Bast is mulling over is, well, do I give up or do I try harder? And I think where he lands is I'm going to try harder. So now we have hardened Bast going into book three. Yeah, like I think I agree with basically everything you said, except that I'm not I'm not clear that this ends up strengthening his resolve so much as like he can't think of anything else to do. Cause I mean, the the real paralysis of of prophecy, right? Like if you think that something is foredestined, then what happens is like, well, do I act as if I had never heard that? And then the prophecy will come true. Or do I do the opposite of whatever I was planning to do? But is that what was really destined to happen? Right. And then you drive yourself crazy thinking about that. So like, I, I just like, I, I don't know if I can derive a clear kind of internal through line for, for Bast. Cause I think he's wrestling with that question. I want to talk about all the things that Bast lists. So, or the, the, the other Cathay encountering people that Bast lists because Jax is on that list and we've like heard a story of Jax Mm -hmm. but it I mean in the story is is the person he talks to the the Cathay it can't be he's not a tree it's I mean it could be it's a tinker right in the story it's a tinker yeah but doesn't the Cathay stay in the tree well, we don't. Maybe the Cathay got put in the tree because it started the creation war by talking to Jax. We don't know. Yes, fair, possible. possible. Uh, and like maybe the Fae just like know a different version of that story, where instead of talking to a kindly old tinker who he then cheats, which causes his luck to be bad, he talks to the Cathay in the in the Fae version of the story. Ooh, that's a good that's a good read, Jeremy. That rather than having a bad turn with a tinker, it's that he speaks to the Cathay. That's very interesting. What I found interesting in this paragraph, not to take away from you fluffing me up, but as far as Bast is concerned, the story of Jax is a different story than the story of Lanra. Yes, that's true. And they seem to have, uh, certainly they happen at different times where Jax's thing is earlier and Lanra's is. Mm-hmm. is after i was certainly under the impression that the war land were fought in was the creation war but that may not be true we have all been operating on the assumption because this is a pet theory of yours that these stories are all somehow the same story uh but that's not ever the way that people who live in this world think about them right like they, as far as they are concerned like no they are different stories about different people they don't have anything to do with each other really well they just don't know better <laughs> I don't believe that these stories are necessarily all the same story in a literal sense, but I don't think that it disproves that theory that the characters in the story don't think of them that way. You know, I think you're, you're allowed to cling to that little headcanon of yours. Then cling I shall. Mm-hmm. Speaking of clinging, great segue of mine. It must be mentioned that the first edition of The Name of the Wind has a tree Indeed, right a in tree the on the cover. Yes, actually, now, uh, I'm going to run away and go get the other edition and see what I can find. Yes, the 10th anniversary does not. So I do feel that if it was a intentional design choice to keep a tree on the front of the series, 
they would have ensured that there was a tree clearly visible in every edition. But in many, many of the editions that I can see, there is a tree or at least a tree imagery. Even the 10th anniversary edition has uh, flowers, not flowers, has leaves, uh, probably to show the wind. I was going to say, the leaves um, on the also, front of the 10th anniversary edition do not feel very tree-y. They just, they feel windy. And I feel yes. like if you were going to specifically make it the cafe's tree, it would be the little blue flowers, right? That's true. Although, Although there is something the art... kind of like on top of Cinder's head. That Cinder? Looks oh, I guess like... that is Cinder. That never occurred to me, but yeah. It, really? It could That's be. like, I I've, I just, I, that was headcanon for me, like since we've gotten the 10th edition. Because it's a, it's a head. Um, ha 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 ha. That's not what I meant, but yes. Um, anyway, on top of Cinder's head in the 10th anniversary edition, there's something that looks more tree-y to me than the than the red leaves. Yeah, there's definitely some foliage. Uh, the uh, image on the front cover of the first edition to me also looks like it's a tree in a clearing. It very much looks like the Cathay's tree. Again, maybe a coincidence. And I think I recall reading somewhere that it is a coincidence that this was just like the stock image that they put together at the time that kind of worked because I don't think they were doing the kind of artwork that they're now doing where they get incredible artists to do custom art for it. I think they just kind of had a bunch of things, you know, to put together, but it does to me look like the Cathay is clearing. And if the guy was nude instead of wearing a cloak, uh, we'd know for sure that it's, it's the Cathay's tree. But if it is a a coincidence, it's an interesting coincidence. I wanted to ask you it, and you know more about theater history than Jordana or I. Is there any similar kind of precedent for something like this in, in theater history that you're aware of? Uh, yes, I'm tr- trying to remember any particular examples. I feel like I should I should know this, but I don't know offhand. Uh, certainly in some traditions, it's more it's more prevalent than others. To some degree, Commedia dell'arte used this where with like stock characters and masks where, you know, certain qualities of a character by what mask they're wearing and and the the posture they affect and similarly i think kabuki has a lot of this where there's a lot of uh, information conveyed through poses and through props but i i can't think of a, an example that's exactly like this where there's like a thing that appears on screen where you know something is going to happen i mean like to some extent uh, Shakespeare's prologues do this where Shakespeare's prologues often tell you hey this is a tragedy by the way mm-hmm. don't be fooled something bad is happening something bad is going to happen rather there's a fair bit of like pathetic fallacy in Shakespeare's plays which I'm not sure is quite the same thing but there's a lot of like oh uh, things are strange in Scotland and also the wind is blowing in strange ways and there's a two-headed cow that guy that, that yeah there have been signs and portents of ill omen yeah, so it's not exactly the same thing, but this this kind of thing does have uh, a basis in in fact. If anything, it's it's more prevalent a little bit later when you get into like postmodernism and and Bertolt Brecht and things like that and alienation, where they're explicitly putting symbolism on stage and removing themselves from uh, suspension of disbelief. That kind of thing is a little more prevalent a bit later, uh, or at least like this exact kind of thing. But it, there's no to to my at top of mind, there's no like tradition that I can point to and say, here's where Rothfuss is drawing this idea from. Jordana, did you have other things that you wanted to bring up? Uh, nope, nope. 
those were my two main things. Whereas the I want to talk about the tree too, and Nick already brought that up, so we're good. The other thing that I wanted to talk about is just like Bast's characterization in general, because at the top of this page, there's like kind of an undercurrent between him and Chronicler that we're all aware of because we've read this book and we've read the previous book and we know that one night ago, by their reckoning, Bast threatened Chronicler's life and threatened to do terrible, terrible things to him if he doesn't toe the line. And Quoth, as far as we know, doesn't know that that has happened. And Bast is like doing kind of a similar thing in a toned down way where he's like demonstrating his power and basically like, you have no idea who I am or what I'm capable of. So like, don't, don't screw around with me. And Chronicler's reaction is very, I think understated terror is the, is what I would describe. (laughs) And then he turns on a dime into just like complete misery and desolation. I think this is, this is like Bast's long dark night of the soul. Cause I think you're right, Nick, that he's been operating on the assumption that whatever happened to Quoth, it was bad, but it can be overcome. It could be fixed. I just have to figure out what the best way is to get him back to himself. But now that he knows that Quoth spoke to the cafe, I think the only thing he can think of is like, Oh my God, however bad this guy's life is or was, it must be so much worse than I know. And it's only going to continue to be worse. And how much worse will my life be just for knowing him? And that's why I think he kind of doubles down. The other thing I want to talk about that's kind of fun is the the calamities that Bast lists. He lists Yaks and the Creation War, which we know about. He lists Lanra and Mirtorinial, which you know about. The creation of the Nameless. Don't know about that. The Scandine. Don't know about that. But I think they're they're both really, really great examples of like dreadful names for things Mm -hmm. so even though we know nothing about them we know that these are like awful things that have been and like awful magical things uh fey calamities i think the nameless are the chandrian oh maybe if so that's it i mean we say they say the word chandrian a lot i has bast ever said the word chandrian that's interesting i don't know and like flurian like did not was like i'm not gonna say haliax's name out loud Right? Like, so what if, what if the Fae think of the Chandrian as like the nameless and we don't say their names because we know that that does call their attention? That's just a a theory. Yeah. If so, this is, I think, the the strongest evidence that the Cathay is responsible for the Chandrian. I'm not sure that I buy that that nameless and the Chandrian are the same, but they certainly could be because you, you present a compelling argument. The Scandine, to me, because it has the S and the C and the AE, it could be Scrail, but I don't think that, that the Scandine are related to the Scrail. Although it could be, but I don't think so. It's Maybe. just a similarly weird-looking word. Yeah. I said Scandine. Jordana, how would you pronounce that word? Uh, poorly. <laughs> I'd say Scandine. Hmm. Jeremy, what's the name of the wasp? Janet Van Dyne. I... I hear uh-huh. you. I you sure understand. it's not Janet Vandenay? <laughs> I guess to me that word looks like it's a Greek word, and Greek words often have that like memnosony kind of like sound at the end. You know? Uh-huh. Anemone is another Anemone is another Greek word that uh is spelled kind of similarly and ends with the N E Athene. Right. And Harry Potter's friend Hermione. Yeah, that's right. What is mem? I'm gonna f- it up. Memnosony. I'm gonna f- it up if I don't look it up. It has to do with memory. 
Mimnasini is the goddess of memory and the mother of the nine muses. Oh, oh, so you're saying that it has the same sound. I thought you meant like Memnosony was the word for the thing. It has the same sound as the Greek name Memnosony. It looks to me like a Greek-derived word. Got it. Is there anything else we want to bring up on this page? I am good. Then we'll all be good, unless we forget to be, because we haven't been saying our prayers to Memnosony on tomorrow's page. Uh... The wind. wind.